Hey people, it's Ashley, and you're listening to Parents of People. Welcome, welcome, welcome back. Welcome to our season one finale. Ooh, ooh, yeah, yeah. I know you're like, girl, what? Is it the end of the season already? It is. It is. The time has passed and we are here. Honestly, y'all, I'm really excited. This first season was honestly like a, a can can she do it? Let's let's see what she can do. And doggone it, she did it. <laughs> Even with some changes and some adjustments, we changed the scheduling around. I learned some new stuff. I had to let go of some things, you know, just different stuff. But I have learned so much and it has been such a such an amazing journey. And I'm really excited to get working on season two. Be on the lookout for, you know, maybe like a, a little, little drop-in episode for the holidays, something special. But otherwise, I will return in January with season two. I'm excited about it because I want to be a little more targeted on some of the topics that I cover. Like I have some 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 things. I still love and want to have, you know, people, parents just sharing their stories and and connecting in that way. That format is never going away. But we're just gonna add a few more things and you know. It's gonna be it's gonna be a good time. So definitely make sure you know you 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 be on the lookout for for next season. Anyway, for today's episode, this week's guest is going to be actually this week the host is a guest. The host is a guest. So we have Gregory coming on to well, Greg. We have Greg coming on to interview me. I am the person being interviewed. Ha ha ha. Um, and he's coming to interview me so that I can share a little bit more of my perspective with you guys. I thought it would be a nice way to just end the season as we have been on this journey together for you guys to, you don't hear from me as much, but maybe Maybe you'd like to. So here is. So for this season finale episode, I decided to reverse things around and have someone come interview me. And so Greg is a very special person to me, and I'm thankful to have had him on to assist me with this. So thank you. I hope you guys enjoy this interview. And again, I I really appreciate y'all so much for listening in. Those of you guys who are my uh, my people, my people who, you know, listen to every episode, to my people who fall back and catch up, to my people who wait on the title that looks kind of interesting to them, <laughs> and to my people who just stop by. Thank you all so, so, so much. I mean, this has really been a joy to create. And it has been a joy to hear from others, to connect with other people every time someone has reached out to me to let me know that an episode resonated with them, that they sent an episode to a friend, that they called their parents, that they sat down with their child. I I love you all and I thank you all for being here and sharing this journey with me. And I do hope all of you will return and bring your friends for season two. But of course, the podcast is still up always. So if there's any episodes you have not checked out, you should go back and listen to them because they're all really, really good, if I do say so myself. Anyway, without further ado, I bring you this week's episode. Happy listening. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Greg. It's a pleasure to be here as your host for Parents for People. And I'm here interviewing the creator herself, Ashley. Well, we're going to ask you a few questions. We want the audience to get to know you better. So I just came up with a few brief questions that we can kind of go into a discussion over. Starting with a very light question. Black girl magic is real because, and you get to finish that statement. It's real because you see it because we can see it all the time Mm -hmm. Um, black women doing amazing things coming together adding their magic i guess onto (laughs) things so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah i guess i would say because you can see it (laughs) because you can i would say i don't only just see it i i feel it 
especially when interacting with women like yourself and other women within the workforce, as well as creating art projects, initiatives, movements for the betterment of people. You guys have a natural ability just to create very warm and welcoming spaces, as well as enhancing Mm-hmm. things that already exist mm-hmm. when I think about black girl magic so what you even what you're doing here is black girl magic bringing people together to talk about being parents and people who have been parented uh, to share their experiences now one thing that I think contributes to black girl magic is you know companionship working as a unit and coming together for like higher causes I feel like black women have always been championing that for their causes and things of that nature. So this kind of leads into my next question. We've been getting to know each other for a little minute now. So I want to talk about your desire for companionship Hmm. and how that has changed for you over the last, let's say over the last five years, how's that changed for you, your desire for companionship? In the last five years, I guess I would say it got sharpened like mm-hmm. a bit more over the past years because I would say five years ago, my idea of what companionship was and what it looked like and how to have that was very different mm-hmm. than where I am now. Some things remain the same, like there are things that I always believe are true. I never thought love had to be hard. Mm-hmm. And so now to realize that some of the times where it was really hard, it probably was because that's not what that, that's not what I needed to be doing. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so as I dated or got to know people, for me, it's mostly that it changed and kind of just honed in more so like into what I was actually looking for or the concept of what companionship actually is in the sense of the growth that you can have that comes from being in a relationship or being in companionship with another person mm-hmm. loving and all that love giving and receiving love hey y'all i am chiming in here in real time because when it's your podcast you can do that and so i'm gonna do that when this question was asked to me during the interview my mind immediately went towards relationship as in romantic partnerships and it was a little bit later on in the conversation that i don't know my mind clicked and was like he said companionship ashley He meant that in a more broad sense. And that's why my words here are kind of dodgy and vague. I don't want to say they're dodgy, but they're kind of vague. My answer is still kind of the same, though, when I think about companionship. It really has sharpened over the past, I would say, three years because I had such a big transition in my life. I picked up and left the city I was living in, moved somewhere else, and I I had to recreate my circle, my people. And I really realized how important it was. I was used to, like a lot of people in our younger adulthood years, we, you know, it's like your friends are just kind of there. You're not really sure how you met them, but you usually we're not making friends with that much intention. (laughs) They're kind of just the people around us, the people at work, the people from college, you know, things like that. The people who frequent the places that you frequent. And so... In the last few years, having moved with COVID, working from home, things like that, I have really had to learn how to be more intentional about finding my people. And I also had to, again, like hone in on how important it was, like really realize what was missing because your girl was not having a good time over here. And I felt like I was living my life in a snow globe and it was just it was not fun. And so I really had to be like, dang, what's missing, you know? My friendships with people in the city I left, the people in Atlanta, for a lot of those people, they became stronger because we we talked more. I think we got more vulnerable with one another and shared more things. So those friendships got stronger. But where where was my, you know, my girl used to come over and have have a bottle of wine at the house, like those types of things, those smaller interactions were missing for me and they were so important to me. So I've been so much more intentional and have really honed in on like, what it's like to have people in my life and what those people mean to me and how to go about having them around and letting them know that they're important. So I try to be very intentional of that. And it also is carried over into romantic relationships, which is a part of that category as well. Of I had to become more intentional. I had to hone in 
on what it actually meant to me to be in a relationship, what commitment meant to me and why I wanted it. And that helped me seek it better. So I still have the same answer for all of this, that it's sharpened. My friendships, I would say, are amazing. They've all, my friendships have always been really good, but I say they are in a really, really good spot right now. So my friendships are amazing. My relationship is amazing. My relationship with my family is also something that's sharpened. I've really been a lot more intentional about having relationships with my family, um, going to family events that I used to brush off because I just understand the importance of it so much more now. But also I've dealt with certain things. Like I dealt with things within myself that made me feel distant from my family. I had my own stuff that I was holding on to that I had to deal with that was creating distance there or made me feel distant from my family. And so since I've worked through that, I I spent more time with them and I realized how valuable and important that is. And so it's really, that's what I would say. So it has sharpened and honed in on what companionship means, what it means to be in relation to others, what it means to love other people and how important that is to my overall well-being. Like that, those things have sharpened over the past few years. All right, back to the interview. Now, it's interesting that you brought up how much you've changed within that period of time. Let's get a little bit more into the nitty gritty of that change. Like what is one of the, let's say, maybe a bad habit, a bad tendency you may have had to tame during that period of time that, that's kind of helped you evolve with companionship or something you've noticed that you're like better at? A couple of things, but one, I guess one of the bigger things is just not trying to mind read, not trying mm-hmm. to do things so that I can know what a person is thinking or trying to get a reaction. Like that was just like a thing in general. And the, the reason being, and it seems kind of silly, but it's like, it, it hides vulnerability. Like when you Mm. really ask someone what you want to know, it puts you in a vulnerable space Mm. to just simply, and that doesn't always mean you're going to get the results you want. It doesn't mean someone will always answer the questions that you have. Mm -hmm. But I think it's more about putting yourself in that vulnerable space to say, how do you feel about me? Or whatever it is, as opposed to things that I would do, which was like maybe make a slick comment or crack a joke or just do something to kind of poke to get a reaction in mm-hmm. hopes that they would tell me what I really wanted to know. And so that's been a big one for me. One, just like realizing that and the amount of little things that me and other people do mm-hmm. with the idea that we kind of can either myry or try to control somebody or control mm. someone's reactions. So just becoming more aware of those things, like, um, I actively ask myself that question. Am I doing anything out of the mindset that I can control another person? And if I am, I'm trying to get rid of that because it's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. can't control other people. So I don't have any, don't have any reason to hold on to those types of behaviors. And I love that because when we talk about the emphasis of control to begin with, it's something that you have talked about with other interviewees that were on your podcast when it came to their children as well as probably experiences that they may have had with their parents is that coddling controlling nature that people just try to do to get what they want or Mm -hmm. to try to sway a situation in their favor and it's good that you have taken the time to really look at that in yourself Mm -hmm. and work on that because a lot of people don't take that time to just even say, hey, am I <laughs> causing discomfort, not only just for myself, but for other people mm-hmm. when I'm in situations, mm-hmm. especially when we're talking about companionship itself, because companionship can be anything. It's friendship. It could be a coworker. It could be your parent. It could be a sister or a brother. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it definitely is definitely really good that you've, you've taken some time to do that. So mm-hmm. now- Kind of leads into one of my other questions. Now, when we're talking about what you've been doing here on your podcast, the the conversations you've been having with parents and people who have been parented, what's one hard truth about being a parent 
that you've learned during your time creating content for this platform? That it can be a very lonely experience. I do think that there are people who have people around them who would like to contribute, would like to help. But when you're wrapped up in your whatever is going on and we can all easily do that, it can be really hard to see those hands reaching out or to take those hands or heck, maybe you've pushed them hands away. <laughs> but that, yeah, that parenthood could be a, a really lonely experience without a community. So how can people work on being less lonely as a parent? They can reach out if so. One of our episodes, let me see, I did an episode with Tika. It was about co-parenting and she talks a good bit in there about having a village because she was like pointing out how like even some people who become single parent, there can be a lot of focus on wanting. You can feel very lonely wanting that other parent to participate in a way that they're not. But just because, and she was making the point of like, basically just because that other person or that other parent may not be involved doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do this alone. You can have, you have friends, you have grandparents, you have really your community is what you make it. So I would say <laughs> you can build that and be less lonely by reaching out. I know I might, I myself as an individual with no kids struggle to reach out and just say, Hey, I need you. Mm -hmm. And that's a really big lesson to learn. There's lots of people that struggle with that. And so if you're struggling with that and you have a little person that you have to take care of, mm -hmm. it can be really, you get stuck on whatever's right in front of you. So, so you did mention that you get stuck on whatever is in front of you that can stop people from reaching out in those situations. What do you believe are other things that may keep people from reaching out? I think a big thing is when you haven't had the experience of that going well, like reaching out for help to someone and they fall through with it. There's no burn on the back end. Like it mm -hmm. just, oh, wow. I asked for help. The person helped me. It was completed and everybody's safe and happy. No one's groaning at me or throwing it in my face later. I think when you have that type of experience, it gets a little bit easier, you know, <laughs> the next time. But I think when you haven't had that, or you've tried to reach out and it went wrong, or you got burned from the experience, you're less likely than the next time. So I think that can be a barrier. Also mm -hmm. stigma and shame. Mm because especially with parents and that's another reason why i really wanted to humanize parents because mm -hmm. it it is like people think you, they're supposed to become this superhero who's supposed to know how to mm -hmm. do everything mm -hmm. and especially when we maybe even reflect on our own childhoods if you thought your parent knew everything mm -hmm. which is something i think at once you get into adulthood and start thinking you can kind of figure out like oh they probably didn't know what i thought they knew or they probably weren't doing what I thought they were necessarily doing, or maybe my parents are human and made mistakes too. But I think when we're young and we're looking up at our parents, it's like, man, they're so responsible or they were so this, and they could do all these things. And I'm in this type of place or I'm unable to do. So anyway, so we build up this image of what we think we're supposed to be doing as people and as parents. And I think that can also stop people from reaching out for help and realizing, oh, wait, I don't know everything or that I'm not failing if I do need help or what have you. So do you believe we just have a problem figuring out when we need help or figuring out how to ask for help when we're in those situations? I ask both. And even again, I think it's also realizing that help can be beneficial. Since we're talking about reaching out, asking for help and things of that nature, how about you tell us about a time where you've had to ask for help? How was that? for you? How did you feel when you did that or performed that action, of course? And how did you kind of improve your process of asking for help when you need it? I've actually had to reach out and, and ask my mom for help going through some stuff with work and finances and, and things of mm -hmm. that nature. And so I had to reach out to her for help and I didn't like it. I just didn't like it. I mean, she was, of course, very much willing to assist me considering the circumstances that I was in. But I mean, it's definitely one of them things that I'm still working on because it's just not something I, <laughs> mm -hmm. it's just not in that way. But even small things, I'm like, I just would rather do it myself because I, I guess I could speak so much about that person who's gotten burned when someone has tried to help, mm. where it's just like, 
please just go away and let me just do it then. Because mm-hmm. if you do it and you do it wrong, and then I'm gonna be mad at you. And I don't wanna be. I'd rather just do it myself and then I don't have to feel any kind of way about mm-hmm. <laughs> this person that's just trying to help me. That's usually how I feel about it on top of everything else. On top of again, just kind of feeling good. But I don't feel the guilt or the shame anymore. Like I don't mm-hmm. like again even ask my mom for help. Like when I was younger, I had other times when that I had to I would call to be like, I did this and I tried that and I did it and like really feeling like I had to justify mm-hmm. and explain my need for help and like really being worried that it would change her perception of me. Like, I don't want you to look mm-hmm. at me like I'm like I'm irresponsible. You, so you feel like you had to prove that, look, I've done every single yeah. thing underneath the sun. I'm ends me. I can't do yeah. it. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Like I have to be like, this is my last and, and, put, and show a plan and just mm-hmm. really because I didn't want her to think I was irresponsible or mm. like I couldn't take care of myself or something like, you know, like, or be disappointed. Cause it's like, mm. you put so much into me, you know, my mom taught me about, especially when it comes to money, my mom taught me about money. When I was mm-hmm. growing up, she taught me about credit. Like she prepared me, <laughs> so to speak, mm. for a lot of things that a lot of info that people don't get from home. And I still got out here and made certain mistakes, but also just life. I mean, I'm old enough now to know that just like life just happens and you can feel as prepared as you'd like to, but sometimes things just happen. (laughs) But yeah, when I was younger, I I would feel the need to like, again, like kind of go overboard explaining because I don't want to disappoint you. Now it's more like, I don't want to, I don't want to burden you. You got your Mm. own stuff going on. I want to be out of your hair and on doing my own thing. So it's more like that, but it doesn't come with the same like shame. So I guess that's what's improved. I don't have the the shame over it anymore. So it just is what it is. (laughs) Well, first, thank you for sharing that. I know that could be very difficult to do. Talk about yourself in that light, Mm -hmm. but also it's a good opportunity to give kudos and grace to your mother for having that ability to support you and help you during those hard times. Cause some people don't have that Mm -hmm. having a support system of any kind, whether it's a parent, a friend, coworker, (laughs) Mm -hmm. even though we shouldn't be murdering our coworkers. Let's let's not do that. It's a good feeling. It's a good feeling to know that you're not alone, which wraps us right back around to my next question which we tapped on a little bit earlier when we were speaking about creating a village. What do you want in your village? How do you, have you thought about what you want your village to look like when it comes to you possibly becoming a mother one day or a parent yourself? I want my village to be, I wanted to include my family most definitely. I mean, I'm trying to build a village now. I think we, even as individuals and childless folk, need to have a good strong village around us so yeah it would definitely include family like i think about how when I, my mom was in the military and mm-hmm. that was cool and our life was what it was and we were all over the place but it didn't allow us to live close to family at all times mm-hmm. so it wasn't really until we moved to georgia which was when i was like 17 that we were on the same coast as our family so we see them a lot more now than when i was growing up so yeah i would want that for my children i would want them to to have regularly they go to grandma's house grandma's close by it's not a whole we don't gotta fly we don't gotta do all this we driving up there on the weekend or whatever the case may be so 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 why is that really important to you because my family is important i got good family i want to around my kids i mean (laughs) (laughs) i just think it's important just to have family close in that way they have things to share and pass on they're also here to support me uh my Mm -hmm. my family my future spouse all that my kids like they're here for that so (laughs) i want us to be close i want my kids Mm -hmm. to be close to them i'm not super close to my grandmother though i love her dearly Mm -hmm. but when people say things like my grandma's my best friend or their grandma passed and they're like, oh, I lost my best friend. I don't, that that feeling doesn't resonate with me. My grandma's just my, she's my grandma. She's my mom's mom. I have fond memories of her. I visited, you know, but it's not, I would, that's not a, a thing that I'm familiar with. I would love it if my mom could have that type of relationship though with my kids to where they can mm-hmm. say, oh, my grandma's my best friend or just that real 
connection. The people who have it seem to value it very much. And so, yes, I would love it if my kids were able to have their grandparents like that in their life. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it include family, definitely would include close friends. I know I, when you were first asking the question, I was thinking about my friend, Tony, who also has done a couple Parents Are People episodes. But she, when she had her baby shower, it was small, mm-hmm. it was tight. And she literally <laughs> said like, everyone here is someone who I would call if like, uh, not, like you were basically pretty much like, a village. Exactly. Just, it was, we could fit in her living room. Like it was a mm-hmm. small <laughs> baby shower. But she made a point of saying, and I believe it, like, if I wouldn't leave you around my child, I don't, (laughs) you don't need to be a part of this village. So um, it was basically, she was making a point of everyone here is someone who I would want to have contact with my daughter or someone who I believe she could look up to or be influenced. Like, that's the kind of people. And so Mm -hmm. that's what comes to mind as well. Just people who I can grow and learn with and from, and the same for my children, people who they would be safe with number one mm-hmm. <laughs> people who will treat them well the safety but, is very important yeah who they would be safe with people who would treat them well and with kindness but also people who would teach them things that i, I don't know everything you know you have mm-hmm. to have other people around you so people who can teach them things i i don't know and that i can't so stuff like that no thank you that was Those are the types of folks i would like <laughs> i mean like when we speak about the village in general and, and what that looks like it goes back to a lot of things that we were talking about earlier first how being a parent as you stated earlier can be a very lonely experience so you need to you should take as much effort as you can to reach out and find people that you can trust and people you can possibly depend on learning how to ask for help because essentially your village are going to be the people who are going to be helping you mm-hmm. and knowing when to reach out and how to reach out, especially when you're comfortable. It takes time for that to happen. And knowing for you for the period of time I do know you, you definitely do that and you definitely have been doing that. So it's beautiful seeing your village come together. <laughs> Thank you. So Before we went on, I brought up the question about one hard truth about being a parent. We're going to do the same question again, but for being a child. So the question is, what's one hard truth about being a child that you have learned during your time creating content for this platform? Like I could give you some hard truths about being a kid, but I don't know if it would. I mean, it could be a hard truth that you've lived. It could be someone you've interviewed. It could be something you've noticed from talking to parents. One that I would say is the biggest hard truth about being a kid, which is one of the reasons why I started out my career working with youth, which is why I kind of always go back to working with them in some capacity, even when I try to be like, I'm not doing that no more. I've evolved as a social worker. I end up back with families and youth. Mm-hmm. is that kids don't have control over anything. They're at the whim of their parents. <laughs> They're at the whim of whatever is going on in the adult in their life's life, whatever decisions they make. And those can be, and again, this, your parent, this parent, these parents, they're people, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. again, I think about myself as, an, as just an individual and the ups and downs that my life has gone through and the things and decisions I've made and all kinds of stuff. And yes, maybe some of those decisions would have been made in a different light if I did have someone dependent on me. However, those same decisions would be impacting another person. And there's so many times in my life where I've looked up and been like, oh my gosh, like I can't imagine going through this and having to drop somebody off at daycare or whatever the case may be. But but I think that is a, a hard truth. It's like kids are really just kind of at the whim of whatever's going on around them. Mm-hmm. And they're products of what is going on around them. Whatever is going on around mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. So if our parents are going through something, the kids are going through something. That's true. And people like to think that they can shield their kids from certain things. They live with you. they in the house. They're looking at you. They're around you. It's only but so much that you I really th- go ahead. I think that's what people miss too. They they forget that these are little humans that's experiencing everything as you go through it too as a parent. Like you were saying earlier, as much as parents try to hide either dysfunction or issues or even their own emotions from their children, they still experience it. Mm-hmm. It could be through them rushing through breakfast. <laughs> 
or not getting a kiss before you let them out of the car to go to school that day mm-hmm. or forgetting to pack their lunch. <laughs> it can be, it's those little things that sometimes people do forget. I can agree with you right there. And they also don't have a lot of, they don't have lived experience. So they take things out of context all the time. And that, I think that can be liberating for parents also to realize on some level it's going to happen. They're going to hear, overhear something they wasn't supposed to hear. They're Mm going to something and they are going to misinterpret it. (laughs) And hopefully they don't misinterpret it so bad that it colors their identity in a negative way, but or their self-image in a negative way rather, but it's, it happens. And mm-hmm. I think one of the best things to combat that is really just staying in communication, constant communication with them, digging in their mind. What's, what, what do you think? How do you feel? What's up? <laughs> How do you feel about open communication between parent and child? I think it's necessary, like a hundred percent. Like you have to be, again, like talking with them, not just a checklist or not just doing therapy with kids, I realized, and also talking with parents, just doing therapy with people. Mm-hmm. I would talk to them about the difference of, are you, are y'all, they're like, oh yeah, we talk all the time. But when you mm. really look at it, you're giving commands. You're not talking, y'all not talking, <laughs> you know? I'm so happy you brought that up. <laughs> you're talking through tasks, go get dressed for school, eat your breakfast, get this, pick that up, clean. But that That's not a conversation. Or the interrogation talks, the did you's. Did you wash the dishes? Did you take out the trash? Did you mop the floor? Did you blah, blah, blah? Did you, oh man, the did you's are always the biggest discomfort that most kids probably have felt. I've gotten hit with the did you's <laughs> growing up. And it, of course it doesn't feel good. I understand why my parents did that to me. All right. But it's interrogation. That's it, all it is. It's, it's, it, 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 sometimes it can feel like you're being shaked down. <laughs> yeah. But my main thing is it's, it's not conversation. It's not mm-hmm. the same as just tell me about the show you like. Oh, mm-hmm. you're really into this. Tell me about it. And asking things in an open-ended way, I'm always telling parents, and I know I've said it probably on here a million times, stop asking how was school? School was school. When you get off work and somebody says, oh, how was work? You might have something to say, but a lot of times work was work. It was work. I don't know. I went there. I did the thing. I came home. That's kind of how they start to feel. Unless something amazing happens, it was fine. And then you'll have adults who will get kind of in a tizzy. Well, they don't talk to me. Well, you didn't ask, you didn't present them with stimulating conversations. You kind of ask this one-sided question that you ask, oh, all right, I'm good. Really engage in conversation mm-hmm. with them. Ask them, what's up? Let them gossip to you about their friends. Just get involved. And I think having that type of communication, you get the opportunity to understand their thought process about things. And then they tell you something and you're like, why do you think that? And then they're like, well, I heard you say blah, 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 blah. And you get the chance to be like, that is not what I meant. (laughs) And you can fix it. But if you don't talk to them, they will overhear that comment and they will run with it. And then they'll be in their thirties telling the therapist how they've never done something because this Mm -hmm. one time they overheard their daddy say, blah, blah, blah. And (laughs) so, so speaking of communication and the issues that come with that. Do you know or have any suggestions for activities that like parents can do with their kids to help improve communication, whether it's playing a game or starting to show together? What do you think? Activities they can do, I think whatever your kid is into. (laughs) (laughs) As a starting point, I mean, Mm -hmm. you can also set up your own things. If it's really, it's about like you would another, any other person you're trying to get to know, right? Any other person you're trying to get to know. It's like, hey, I really like these things and you really like those things. And if we don't have the same things, then maybe we can find something totally new. I think it's so cool to have hobbies that you do with your kids. One of my friends was was joking around about the fact that I do puzzles. And I was like, I do puzzles with my mom and my stepmom. Um, we used to do puzzles together. Great time to just sit and do puzzles and talk. How do you feel about maybe starting activities that you both have not done together? Like, or what is what I meant? Finding new hobbies together. If mm-hmm. even if it's you know, if your kid ain't that much into anything or they're not into stuff you want to do, um, 
instead of also do not drag them along to stuff <laughs> that you like that they don't like. If they don't want to go fishing, stop dragging them to go fishing. That's not going to stimulate conversation. Like I know they do exactly. it in the movies and the kids like, oh my God, I learned this really cool thing because I'm a fisherman. My dad. <sighs> Maybe, but if they truly just do not like being there, like all you're doing is like, Holding someone hostage, right? You're holding them hostage and you're creating resentment, honestly, more than anything, as mm -hmm. opposed to finding a hobby that you guys can do together that you mm -hmm. both can enjoy or trying something new together. I don't think there's anything wrong with introducing your kids to, to your things, but mm -hmm. if they clearly are just like, no, <laughs> like, I, I don't like this, mm -hmm. <laughs> just let them live and find something else that y'all can do together. Definitely being open and flexible. But yeah, I think that's the biggest thing, like having hobbies that y'all can do together so that when you're doing them, you're spending like intentional time together, like mm -hmm. getting out of that day to day, do this, do that. And not even just that everyone does, but you can just get into a rut and a routine mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of the same old. So I would definitely say hobbies. I think another great thing for communication, meals together. Yes. It seems crazy to say, but people don't have meals as a family as much as I thought they did. I have no idea. They don't. <laughs> they really don't. I'm, like As someone who comes from a two-parent household, we ate constantly together, eating at the table or at in the living room together. That's something that we did. It was like, we're here, we're engaging in conversation. Maybe we're watching a show that we're all into. And we're discussing how good the food is. We're discussing what's happening in our days. We're probably talking about things that we got to do later on, but we're also checking in on each other. It's something that my mother constantly did whenever she finished cooking. She was really in the adamant of bringing the unit together, no matter what. So she'll get kind of snappy after she finished like making a meal. She'd be like, all right, guys, food's done. Come That's on, it. let's get That's it. it. Let's it's go. Right now. <laughs> it's, it's, it's drop what you're doing. Because it's dinner and bring time. bring it to the table. <laughs> yes. The table used to be a sacred place. There was rules and how you were supposed to conduct yourself. Everybody mm -hmm. was supposed to sit here. And I mean, my mom and I too, we used to have dinner. We had dinner night together mm -hmm. every night. Because <laughs> my mom used to cook. She didn't like leftovers. So she cooked every night. Mm -hmm. Didn't eat out like that. But we sat together. And so that's something I realized people really don't do especially when I started doing therapy with people, with kids specifically, and you would ask them like, well, how, what does dinner time look like? And it's, there's food left on the stove. And maybe that's because the parents have a work schedule where they leave at three o'clock and they mm -hmm. work in the evening. So they just leaving food on the stove while they, whatever. Or maybe, heck, or people just don't eat together. They Dinner gets done at the same time. One person takes their plate and goes in the den. One person, another person go in their room and one person just kind of sits at the table scrolling on their phone. Mm -hmm. And it is such a, it's, we all got to eat. It is the easiest thing to just designate, say, dinner time is family time. With a lot of families I work, even if I just make it one night a week, I've told one night a week, y'all have to have family dinner. It improves so much of their communication, especially for the kid, because they have stuff that they might want to talk about and they're waiting on the right time. They're trying to gauge their parents' feelings. They're trying to, you know, figure out when are they in the mood so I can ask them this thing I want to ask them, or I got to talk, I got to tell them something that happened at school. But so they spend so much time trying to navigate your feelings. If they know, that every day at 6 p.m. y'all are gonna sit down at the dinner table or whatever time, or if they know that every Wednesday or whatever time you choose is going to be that designated time that you are all going to sit together and everyone is gonna be receptive to conversation, <laughs> they're more likely to be prepared for that. They're more likely to, maybe if this week they didn't feel comfortable telling you the thing, they're going to be like, okay. Cause I, again, I would sit with kids in therapy and we would game plan. Like, when are you going to have this conversation? I'm like, okay, I'll do it at the next family dinner. Like that's going to be the time when I can tell my mom this or, or whatever it is. So I think that's one of the best and easiest things, just that alone. And, even, and if you can't, if you're like, Hey, my lifestyle just really doesn't allow for us to all sit at dinner time or whatever together, mm -hmm. set something that's a designated time at, mm -hmm. at a bare minimum once a week. If you can do it daily, amazing. Whether that's like before they go to school, every day, we're gonna spend 
you know, 10 minutes or 50, what time <laughs> I'm going to give them one-on-one -on -one attention time for this so that we can talk about whatever or whatever the case may be. And I think when you can set that expectation, that's a thing and they have that to look forward to. Mm -hmm. It's even if it doesn't work the first couple of times, like eventually they'll understand they're like, Oh, this is a safe space. This is designated time for like, for me, I mean, again, my mom and I had dinner together, but we also used to go on walks. We used to go on walks all the time together. And that was a great time for us to talk. We talked so much <laughs> mm. during that time. That would be a time where, like, I remember one conversation was over chores, mm. right? And I was telling her, basically, I was telling her she fussed too much. I know what my chores are. And if I didn't yes. do it, it's just because I forgot. It's not because I don't want to do it or what mm. have you. And I literally was telling her, basically, by the time she did all this fussing, I could have took the trash out. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm glad you brought up chores and I didn't mean to cut you off there, but chores is something that me and my family will do a lot together. That was our time to kind of talk, hang out, get into each other's heads when we're cleaning the house, when we're dusting together, when mm -hmm. we're all out cutting grass and tending to the yard. Those activities that we did as a unit mm -hmm. gave us an opportunity to have discussion. Mm -hmm. especially if there was chores we didn't like mm -hmm. <laughs> it was mm -hmm. a great time to be like why do we have to why do we have to fold clothes <laughs> can't you do it and then we have some healthy discourse about why everyone should know how to fold clothes agree yeah yeah so you're right yeah even doing those things together but yeah the conversation we were having was more like hey if I forgot it's just because I forgot I don't see why I'm getting in trouble and getting fussed at <laughs> for a simple mistake and she heard me. She heard me expressing that to her. Basically, by the time you do all this fussing, I can took church out and been back and we can move on with our day. You don't have to do that. And she was like, okay, we're going to try it. Basically, we're going to try yeah. it. This and that. And she, she did. She really, mm. I don't know what her process was, but I noticed that it wasn't a thing. Like it just mm. became less and less of it. Like she just didn't do it anymore. Cause it was, a, it's okay to just, it was basically me trying to, it's okay for you to just remind me, you know, mm -hmm. you don't, but. And this even, also was a good feeling to be heard. Absolutely. Heard. It really was. And that's something that, you know, even when I work with parents, I talk to them about their, like, about fussing particularly. Cause mm -hmm. all of, that's a lot. And, <laughs> and a lot of times, yeah, you can get lost in that and sometimes just mm -hmm. kind of bent on to your kid you know it started off about the dishes and now you're going on and on about how they don't do this and you that and you're tired and goodness gracious you know and some into, people it turns into and this is why you're failing right social studies <laughs> i'm like whoa <laughs> i forgot exactly. to take out the trash once right calm down <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that and some people unfortunately can become very hurtful it can say really mm. mean things during that time as well and it's like all, that is not, and this is the same as with anyone, partners, all, mm -hmm. cut that down, man. There's no need for all of that. All you're doing is making yourself more upset, more angry. You're getting yourself all worked up and that puts you in a position to potentially say something that, that you don't mean towards your child or towards your family member, whoever you fussing at. So I'm always telling people like, no, if they didn't do the thing or, or what have you, if there's some consequence on the other side, cut the nagging and get to the consequence. You know, mm. or just get to them doing the chore. Like you talking about it for 10 minutes doesn't get it done. <laughs> That's true. Let's just you get know, to the sentencing. <laughs> get to the thing. If it is the room clean. I had one woman I was working with about over the dishes. By goodness, she was so mm. amped up and they were always getting into fights over the dishes. And it was like, okay, so. Mm. Oh, she was like making things like, well, if she doesn't do her dishes, she's going to have to pay her phone bill her own phone bill and okay that's fair if you want to put that as a consequence but it doesn't get the dishes done it does not <laughs> it doesn't get the dishes done it just means her phone bill won't be paid <laughs> yeah or that she's gonna pay it and once she pays yeah. that i mean what let's find another way to look at this let's find another way let's try to share this because there were other siblings in the home let's spread the responsibility around does everyone mm -hmm. know how to properly clean it was like a whole like we have to deep dive into this further do you feel like in some of those instances that the that parents that may have multiple children especially an older child to younger sibling situation 
feels as if they don't want to share that burden with their kids or their younger kids of chores. Do you you think that's do you think that's why the shift of responsibility kind of goes on to the older children a lot more than let's say Uh, than the younger ones? Yeah. Yeah, because well, this is my theory. I'm Mm -hmm. giving my theory based on different observations and things like that, and not growing a household with multiple children of ages and whatnot. But for more on this, we have an episode, de facto third parent. (laughs) Then it's an episode talking to someone who became that third parent in her family as the oldest daughter. And there are lots of oldest daughters who could probably speak a lot better on this than me. But I would say in theory, what I think is Mm -hmm. that you teach the first one and then the others kind of come and it's like, I don't, I mean, I've got my helper. (laughs) It's kind of, it's like, you've done it. You've taught, I showed you how to do it. You can teach them. You can do that part. I think they just kind of, some people just go into an autopilot mode. <laughs> also though, I think a lot of people too, it just gets passed on, right? If you were yeah. the oldest in your family or you saw that in your family, then that's just naturally people tend to pass that on. You're mm-hmm. the oldest and that means it's your responsibility to do this and this. You got to look out for all your siblings and make mm-hmm. sure that now there are plenty of people who are changing that narrative especially in our generation, I think there's a lot more people who are like, absolutely not. That was Mm -hmm. done to me and I didn't like it. And I'm not going to put that type of weight on my oldest child. And so they're trying to do a little bit different. But But I think, yeah, I think when you came up like that and that was kind of a mm -hmm. thing, then people naturally just, you look after your brother, he's younger than you. And it starts off small like that. And then Lord, then it it turns into everything else. I I also think there are things that you've learned teaching your oldest child Mm -hmm. or the middle or the baby that you can improve on within that relationship it's, it's kind of like how the differences that happens between child to child when it comes to parenting is something that i feel like a lot of people miss or don't talk about a lot mm-hmm. and you're an older sibling mm-hmm. i'm also a older sibling as well i'm a middle child mm-hmm. and we notice how our younger siblings are treated Mm-hmm. In certain situations where we probably we would have got a <laughs> a foot on, mm-hmm. but as weird as it may seem for us to see that and see, I'm um, to see that and experience those previous reactions from our parents. It's also beautiful to see the growth in our parents and how mm-hmm. they're not doing that <laughs> with our younger siblings. Mm-hmm. I can agree because. With my mom having me young, I got to know her. I knew her in her early adulthood years and kind of what her life was like around that time. And so knowing certain things and then getting to see her, getting to watch her parent, my sister has been different, has been really good because even as simple as my sister's first birthday party, mm-hmm. my first birthday, we were in Germany and we have again we didn't have family around we didn't have obviously i'm not old enough to know what happened but i know we didn't have family around and my mom was in germany by herself she probably it wasn't much when we had my sister's first birthday party we were Mm -hmm. able to have a birthday party, a big Mm -hmm. thing and of course she's one so she don't care so this is really for the grown-ups so we got to have the family party we got she got to have the i remember driving around trying to get these specific balloons or something my mom wanted and my sister's father was you know oh don't worry about it and i was like she want these daggum balloons she's gonna have these daggum balloons because (laughs) i knew just what this meant for my mom of like she didn't Mm -hmm. get to do this the first time around a lot of things even just mm-hmm. being in a better fight i mean it was 19 years later so yes. <laughs> so for my mom even just being in a better financial situation mm-hmm. to be able to my sister gets to go to private school other things like just so being able to see my mom have a different type of experience and flexibility also again like i said us being close to family now that's not mm-hmm. something we always got to do i i got to kind of bounce around a little bit more and i had a little bit more time with them but mm-hmm. my mom she was in military wherever she was stationed was where she was at and she mm-hmm. got to fly home maybe once or twice a year um but now she can drive up and go visit her sister on the weekend they get to be a part of my sister's life and close with her in in that way. And so just seeing even things like that is really, it's really cool. 
it's really good. I'm happy for her. I'm happy for my mom. <laughs> <laughs> and she gets to have this other kind of parenting experience. I'm also happy for yourself for being there for her as well as being there for your sister. Being a sibling is is pretty difficult <laughs> sometimes. It's people, But it's not even really difficult. It's, it's a very rewarding feeling having someone that's going to be there for you. And I know for others, sometimes your relationships with your siblings are, are not as, as good. But if you do happen to have a good relationship with your siblings, those are your road dogs right there. Those people usually will have your back through thick and thin next to your parents. But no, thank you for sharing that. I got one more question for you, and then we'll mm-hmm. go ahead and close out this Q&A. Mm-hmm. To yourself five years from now, what is something or a message you would like to leave for that individual? Hmm. Let me see. How old am I? <laughs> yeah. Be to remember the time to remember. It would kind of be just, I think, I guess, remembering where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. All of it. Because one, I feel like I'm at the start of some things, but also I'm in a really good, peaceful place. Mm-hmm. And so I will want to remember that because I have no idea where I'm, <laughs> what's going to be going on five years from now. Mm-hmm. But it's always good to remember how things started and also times when we were at peace because we could get that along the way. So I would remind mm-hmm. myself of that. Well, thank you. That was really sweet. I hope your future self listens to that and gets a lot of love and happy feelings. <laughs> that message. Hopefully so. Hopefully so. Yeah. Well, no, thank you so much for uh, chatting with me and allowing me to interview you on your platform. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening. I really hope something that you heard today clicks for you, resonates with you. And I also hope that you share this episode with a friend. If you really like what you heard, please leave a review. Check out our website, parentsarepeople.net, where we'll have the blog and any upcoming announcements. You can also find me on Instagram at parents are the letter R people. On there, you'll find some featured photos from our guests and some highlights from the episodes. You can also communicate with me on there. And lastly, you can reach me via email, parentsrpeoplenet at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.